Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Dugout.UK football podcast. As ever, I'm your co-host Ollie Coulson, joined by my other co-host Lee Tootle. Lee, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm very, very good, thanks mate. And we're joined once again by our favourite special guest, Sam Johnston. Sam, welcome back to the podcast, how are you? Yes, very well, thank you. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back as always. Um, We're going to be getting into a, a trip Sam's taken recently to Krakow. Uh, for his birthday because he went to watch the Krakow derby so we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on but obviously this week there's been a ton of news in the Premier League Um, so we spoke about last week Dean Smith and Daniel Farker being sacked from Aston Villa and Norwich respectively Um, Dean Smith has been replaced by Steven Gerrard of formerly of Rangers Uh, the ex-Liverpool legend has come back to the Premier League and um, has signed a multi-year contract at Aston Villa to replace Dean Smith. Um, I think let's just jump straight into it. Uh, Lee, what do we think? Steven Gerrard to Aston Villa. I mean, um, I think it's the perfect example of a club not really having a plan in place for how they want the season to go. You know, the I don't see what Dean Smith did that was sackable. There's only so much you can account for poor player performances. I mean, and, it's worth- and the sale of a key player that the the board said that they had replaced with these three signings they made, and the they really didn't. You know, the, the team's a lot worse for not having Grealish in it, and I'm sure that's to your to your enjoyment, to be honest, Ollie. But um, hugely, it just seems like they've sacked an average manager and employed an average manager to do the same job, and it's just not going to. I don't. He ain't going to turn the club round or anything, is it? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think I think I think it's worth going back to the Dean Smith point. Um, I mean, he he has lost eighteen Premier League games in twenty twenty one. I mean, his record this year, not this calendar year, has been pretty abysmal. Um, Sam, what do we make of Steven Gerrard's Rangers? Do you think the Dean Smith sacking was fair? I think. Well, I watched the Villa game against Southampton on Friday night, and they were atrocious. You know, Southampton aren't an, an exceptional team or even a good team in this league, yet they were a class apart from Villa. So I think with that and Villa's form over the last few months, he had to go. But Gerard isn't the answer. You know, he's done all right at Rangers. Yeah, he won the league, but, you know, it's not a prestigious league. It's not a difficult league to win if you're Rangers. And I think, you know, it does, like Lee said, show a lack of planning, you know, lack of knowing where you want to go. And I think this will end badly, you know, mediocre manager, mediocre team in a tough Premier League. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Steven Gerrard's record at range is, is a bit um, exaggerated. He, in the three and a bit seasons he was there, he had nine trophies available to him and only won one of them, um, including the cup double last season, which went to um, St. Johnston. Um, so for all of Celtic's flaws in the past season, well, last season and probably about a half season after Neil Lennon was sacked and part of when Neil Lennon was still there. I mean, Rangers have really been a capitulation for most of that time. Um, and then they kind of won the league in the, in the one year Celtic had an absolute shitter. And yeah, they did brilliantly, you know, only conceding 13 goals in Scotland is a pretty masterful thing. Even when you look at some of the defenses um, that Rangers have been putting out. But I don't think I don't think his record's that good, and his European record is even worse. Um, you know, and then you know he got he got battered by Malmo uh, this season to avoid to not get Champions League qualification. So I, 
yeah, I, I don't think this is, you know, Villa, the, the club in the Premier League, who talk about breaking into that kind of Leicester, West Ham group, don't they, Lee? Um, they talk a lot about that, but where where is where is it? I don't think Steven Gerrard's the guy to take them into Europe. You know, this is his first job in the Premier League. Yeah, and I don't think that they've got the squad to do that anymore. Getting rid of Grealish, I mean, as much as they wouldn't have wanted to do it, it would have a massive step backwards for him. Um they signed a few players who should have been all right, but you can't replace one player with three when he's been the focal point of your team for so long. You need another focal point because that's how they're used to playing and they've completely lost that. And it's just uninspiring, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, the not, you need a, a manager who's experienced getting teams from mid-table to that level, progressing teams from relegation to you know mid-table teams, a manager who's got teams promoted and kept them up. That, that's the kind of manager you're wanting to build that squad and get them that bit further. And mm. Steven Gerrard's gone to the second best team in the league and won it once they were the best team in the league and the, you know, the former best team in the league stopped being as good. That That's his managerial achievement. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you can really? kind of, you can kind yeah. of clap leaving of Rangers as a bit of a running from, a fight because if you look at Celtic, you know they've sort of rebuilt in the summer pretty quickly. Um, put put a good squad together under Ange Postecoglou, who is this widely experienced manager outside of Europe. Really, his record outside of Europe is fantastic, um, and you know truly one of the elite managers in that category, in my opinion. Uh, I think he's a real coup for Celtic. And you look at kind of who Celtic are getting, uh, who Rangers are getting linked with, and. Um, it's not the most exciting. I think it's it's just kind of that in, in innate nature of you know Scotland falling into its preconceptions. And you have a lot of strong opinions on this, don't you, Sam? About Scotland not being the best league. Yeah, um, the most interesting. I you know I often joke about you know being Celtic Rangers and the and you know the Red Lion going for the league title. It is frankly a pub league, um, but uh, I'll not say too much more before. The Scottish people on Twitter come after me. Are they going to be after you for that? Yeah, if I go, mate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll we'll very briefly touch on who they're linked with. Um, Callum Davidson of St Johnston obviously won the cup double last year, finished fifth in the SPFL. Absolutely, you know, tiny budget compared to Celtic and Rangers. I mean, he's been linked with it. I, th- I think t- to be successful in Scotland, do you need someone who knows the league or do you, or can you take a risk like Rangers did with Gerrard and bring in someone who has no experience? What do you think, Lee? I think um, if you're going to have a, a, an inexperienced manager who you're taking a risk on, it might as well be with one of the top teams in a league where there's no competition, isn't it? I mean... We, one of us could go to Rangers and they'd finish second. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not a very difficult job to have, is it? But um, I think, yeah, there's there's managers like this. Talk. John Terry's obviously left Villa. Yeah. Um, early, earlier in the season, I think not as a result of this, but um, the start of the season, or he mid- could be a shout because apparently he's been a bit annoyed that he's not being offered the Villa job, which surprises me given that. He has zero claim to a Premier League job. But then again, there's been appointments elsewhere in the Premier League, or there's definitely one about to happen with another manager who has absolutely no real claim to a Premier League job. So, you know. Should we move on to that? Um, Obviously. (laughs) You obviously know exactly who I'm talking about there. (laughs) Not talk 
talking about um, Eddie Howe to Newcastle, which we discussed last week. Um, we're talking about Frank Lampard to Norwich City. I mean, let's get it straight with Norwich City. Norwich, you are not staying up. You could hire Pep Guardiola and you wouldn't stay up. You could hire Jurgen Klopp, Zidane. You could hire anyone you wanted and you would not stay in the Premier League. You've just named so many brilliant managers who are known for keeping poor teams in divisions there, Ollie. Yeah, but this well is the, you, they could go and pick the, you know, Allardyce, Warnock, whoever <laughs> you, you could go and get anyone you want, Norwich, and you are not staying in the Premier League. So to go and get Frank Lampard, I mean, this is a bloke. You've got a lot more kind of experience of Frank Lampard because obviously, you know, Leeds and Derby's famous year together um, with Lampard at the helm. I don't think many people describe it as a year together, but um, in, but yeah. there's a lot. There's, there's a lot of history from that year alone. Um, you know, Frank Lampard, he made he made the playoff finals with all the help from his mates at Chelsea, uh, with Mason Mount of Kaya Tamori coming in, two players who shouldn't have been playing in the championship that season. Harry Wilson, brilliant talent from Liverpool, uh, perfectly capable upper championship level, lower Premier League player. Um, so he called in all his favours. He gets to the playoff final and bottles it to Villa. Um you know, and then he gets the Chelsea job on the back of that. And then he and he spent a season at Chelsea with no pressure on him, no expectation, with and and nothing spent, does okay, finishes fourth. So they were, they were the fourth best team in the league that season, quite easily. Um, and then you know, he flunks it as soon as he spunks 120 uh, 250 million on talents from all across Europe. I mean, this isn't an this isn't an elite manager. This isn't a good Premier League manager. This is I don't think he's a very good champion upper championship manager. Um, for all of Frank Lampard's great playing career, which he had a fantastic playing career, he's not a man, he's not a manager who I would want coming into a club um, in the Premier League who need to kind of survive or get back up the season after. Lee, talk to me about Frank Lampard. <laughs> Can we not? <laughs> no, I mean. Um... <laughs> he, he didn't he had a very good second half of the season at Derby but that was based on the first half of the season being dreadful just scraped sixth um, beat us in the playoffs beat Leeds in the playoffs I think that was more we lost it than they won it to be honest if anyone actually saw that horrific game you know we were 2-0 up on aggregate at one point you know we, we were over halfway through the um, over halfway through the um, through the you know double fixture and um completely bottled it but um i've just um had a look as well at, at frank lampard's just at his um his, his stats um as a manager so far and um it is just by average in it you know it yeah he, he's not progressed a team everyone's saying like or everyone says that when he took that squad that Chelsea had, he made them, you know, he brought through the youth and he didn't have a choice in that. He did that because they were a transfer ban because the dodgy bastards, he didn't want to bring through the youth as much as he kind of had to. And there weren't bad youth that he were bringing through that he developed. The, the brilliant players that were coming through, you know, Mason Mount, Hudson, Adoy, Reese James, Tamori, you know, th- these aren't players that, he had to do an awful lot of work on. It's but... interesting. Look at his second season when he got, you know, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, all these players. The only one he really stayed in the side was Mason Mount. And then Reece James was on the bench a lot of the time. Terry Glampty left that season to go to Brighton. 
Um, and he had a and he's had a brilliant start there, and then got and then he had that injury. I mean, you know, you know, I don't think he's someone. And he, and yeah, Billy Gilmore got his first few starts in football, and you know they're going to be together at Norwich City now. Um, so and obviously Frank's going to play him because he probably owes it to Chelsea. Um, but Sam, I mean, what do you think of Frank Lampard to Norwich? It's, I mean, we we've got to say it's not confirmed yet. It'll be by the time this podcast is out, but um, the news is that he's set to be. Um, yeah. Frank Lampard. I mean, you two have just spent the last five minutes tearing the man piece to piece, but I'm actually going to defend him and I'm going to actually praise Norwich for going in for him. I think actually this is a young and ambitious manager who has done better than a lot of people give him credit for. You know, even if he didn't want to bring these youth players through, he still did it. They still got the Champions League when they were unfancied. And these players that he signed the next summer have all generally gone on to be very good players for Chelsea. Um, but the problem for Norwich now is actually, you know, well, what is the plan? You know, you've got a manager who is a bit of a square peg in a round hole. You know, Lampard, I think, commands a job somewhere like Villa, not Norwich. Um, and, you know, is his attacking style of football really going to get Norwich anywhere. They'll try at least to win games now, which is something Lee and I discussed the other week. That seems if they just kind of accepted losing every game. That wouldn't be the case now, but is it just going to lead to complete cricket scores every week? You know, it's a risk, but let's see how it goes. Uh, I mean, the, th- the thing with Lampard is I, is I wonder who's advising him because I think he stands to lose a lot more from this than Norwich do. Norwich know they're going down. As I said earlier, Norwich know they're going down. They can get anyone they want they're going down and they'll come right back up after next season, after dominating the championship, whoever they hire, because that's what Norwich do. That's what their squad's built to do. But who's who's advised Lampard to take this job? Because all he's going to do is get a relegation on his record that he doesn't need to, that he doesn't need to have. He's had, you know, he's had, I think he's had talks with Palace um, he's had talks. He's probably had talks with Newcastle. He's probably he probably should have really gone to Celtic uh, in the summer when that job was up, um, because I think that I think that's a good job. It keeps him kind of in the public eye, being European football, and and as we've discussed, it's not the best league in the world. Um, you know, there's been jobs out there for him to take, and he's taken the one that's just going to hurt his reputation the most because of. It, Unless Norwich have this kind of five-year plan in place for him to be the manager, like Fark has been floating between the Premier League and the top end of the Championship, he stands to gain nothing from this. I mean, if he if he manages to pull off something amazing and keep Norwich in the Premier League or bring them right back up to the Premier League and stay in it, then then that's then we're looking at a whole different situation with Lampard. But I don't think we can kind of say that about him. I don't I don't, I don't get that feeling from him. Um. But we'll we'll move on there. I, I just want to touch very, very briefly on this, especially because we've got Sam on, who is a, a Man United sympathiser. Uh, the Manchester Derby was last weekend. City won 2-0, absolutely dominated them. Um, very funny, isn't it? Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Oli Gunnarsson <laughs> looks even more of an idiot uh, as he stood there and sat there in his chair, you know, lump, lumped over, looking like a fool, made to look like an idiot by Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola, Bernardo Silva, you are my heroes. I love you so much. Uh, we're going to move right on from that because I just wanted to see Sam's face as I did that. Um, but, but we're going to move on to Sam's trip to Krakow to go watch the Krakow derby uh, for his 21st birthday. Um, 
and we're going to kind of turn this into a real discussion but sam tell me about the krakow derby yeah so i think the krakow derby was on sunday night um but i think the story of this derby probably starts on the friday afternoon when we got to krakow and in poland what you've got to do is you need to go and buy your ticket a couple of days in advance and get your um passport scanned to your ticket basically um which is probably the first initial sign that this is going to be a bit different to English football. This is what we have to do to control the crowds. Um, and then, you know, come Sunday night, going at the stadium, there's a 25 minute wait to go through all the security. And you would think it's quite rigorous, but that's probably when we get the game itself. Um, and, you know, Vilsla Krakow won 1 0 against Krakowia. That's the least relevant part of all this. Because come when the goal goes, I mean, you've got the TFOs, which you expect going up first and second half, but you realise the futility of the security measures when, when Vilsta Krakow score, they set their own seats on fire um, to celebrate, and everybody's moving down the stand to get out of the way of all the fire. And, um, you know, I think me and my dad were the two people in the stadium who were the only ones vaguely concerned by all this. And it takes the stewards 15 minutes to come and put it out. And, you know, nobody's just batting an eyelid. But then in retaliation, in the other end, the Krakowia fans all let off flares. Um, and the game has to get stopped while the smoke clears away. And you end up thinking, we've done all this security checking for what? You know, it's it's not achieved a thing. But yeah, it was a wonderful experience. You know, the people over there are so passionate about their football. You know, it's their life. They call the derby the holy war. And, you know, it's just fantastic to see so many people enjoying themselves in football. Yeah, I mean, Eastern Europeans are known for being, you know, insane when it comes to their support of their football club. Um, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I do and I, and I do respect it. You know, the, these guys have such dedication to their football club, unlike anything we get in Britain, really. Um uh, yeah, setting your own seats on fire. I love that. I, I just think that's amazing. I just think that's brilliant. Uh, but we're going to kind of discuss games. Uh, I mean, me and Lee talked about this briefly, and Sam's been involved in this discussion. The kind of the best game, best atmospheres we've experienced, whether that's you know our own clubs following our own clubs or you know other games we've been to. Um, so Sam, where would the Krakow Derby kind of be your top choice on that? Would it be you know the best? atmosphere you've ever seen best kind of game yeah. I think it was I mean I think the fact the football's so mediocre and they managed to get so excited means it's just completely unparalleled I mean maybe if we were a bit more let's say fair about derbies in England and how fans are expected to behave maybe we'd have some like that maybe Glasgow would be similar maybe you know maybe the time and wheel one would be quite similar but I think just the fact that you can get away with letting your fireworks and all that means that's probably unparalleled yeah, I mean, this. I mean, you see a flare go off in England, and you know, it's it's like someone's, you know, shot someone. You know, it's the re the reaction is a, it's a bit it's a bit tin pot. It's a bit tin pot. Lee, what about you? What's kind of the best experience you've had at football, kind of game wise, or you know, just atmosphere or whatever? To be honest, um, I've I've even been to a football game that's not a Leeds game. No, <laughs> so um. To be honest, there's quite a few come to mind. Unfortunately, most of them are games against Millwall <laughs> just because of the um, <clears throat> absolute shit slinging that goes on. But the one I mentioned to you earlier that particularly does stand out for me is a, 
a good atmosphere or an, an awful atmosphere, depending on how you look at it. Like they were a very violent atmosphere, um, very angry atmosphere, but it was so good. We're um, in the season we came up, we were two nil down to Millwall at home. So one of them was a very contentious penalty, which was also given after the ball had been dribbled out of playing back in by a Millwall player. Um, and I think I'd, I missed the first goal because I'd gone for a piss. <laughs> so I came, I came up four minutes into the game and we were already 1-0 down. But um, there were just that kind of, um, you know, the referee had to be escorted off the pitch by the police at halftime um, because they had obviously seen his performance. Um, I think Victor Orta and um, James Mooney, head of media for Leeds, both got stadium bans for the behaviour in the tunnel at halftime, following the ref down, shouting shit at him. And then in the second half, I think within within twenty minutes we'd scored three back to back, and we'd already we'd been we'd had a pretty shit run of form going up to that as well. Like we thought that was you know we were absolutely finished as a team, and it would it would just the the first time we we'd won dirty in a long time, and the absolute shit that were being sung to Millwall after, because you, you can imagine Millwall you know two 0 up at Ellen Road at half time, can't you? The yeah, amount yeah. of shit their fans were talking, were brilliant especially in the last few minutes when, you know, Bamford were kicking the ball out of their goalkeeper's hands to waste time and stuff. It were all just dirty and disgusting. And um, it was a game like that. I mean, those yeah. EFL games, especially that should be on telly, because you just know it's going to be, even if it's not a brilliant game to watch, you know, it's just going to be funny to, you know, listen to whatever's being chanted or whatever. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, I haven't been to that many games that uh, don't involve City. Um but I'll, I'll uh, yeah, I mean the best kind of game atmosphere was actually probably the worst for you know eighty odd minute eighty well over ninety minutes of this game and it was City City QPR that famous moment in twenty twelve won the won the league title I mean that was the most disgusting tense horrible atmosphere um, apart from one moment in the actual game where Zabaleta scored the opening goal and you know that 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 was kind of massive celebration we just thought we won the league I think it was about what 35 40 minutes in to the first half so it'd been like a really horrible tense game and here I am as a 13 year old just horrified at what I'm watching because obviously you're so much more emotional as a kid you know um and then the second half you know QPR go two on up oh just a horrible horrible game even after Jacko scored um, the, to make it 2-2, it like there was a celebration, but then it was like, we've got like three minutes here. And then Aguero puts in that goal, the rest is history. And that party was one that, you know, I think back to it, I hear the screams in my head, and in, in my ears, and just how excited everyone was, the dancing in the stands, running onto the pitch, all of that. You know, it's just one of the best moments ever, really. Sad. And I think... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the nearest I've got to that, probably, probably a better atmosphere for the whole game was a couple of years ago, um, City versus Spurs at home um, in the Champions League, that 4-3 kind of ridiculous game. Um, which it was sort of like the other way around because it was incredibly tense, but everyone was pumped up. Fans were amazing that night. Um, I, was, I was gone. I was like in other worlds in my head because it was just so unbelievable what was happening watching that game. Sterling scores at the end 
And for about that 30 seconds where it, VAR hadn't come up yet, oh, it was just the best 30 seconds. Because you, you're thinking at that point, we're going to win the Champions League. We're going to we're going to win the quadruple. We're going to be the best, literally the best team ever. I'd in completely the... forgot that everyone in the ground had celebrated going through that night. I forgot yeah. about the Sterling goal. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was about 30, 40 seconds of just pure unbridled joy. And I remember speaking to people after, I've spoken to people who were there with me since, and everyone was saying, yeah, it was like the Aguero goal. Because you, you think at that point, fuck, we're going to win the Champions League now. It's an easy route, Ajax, and then what Liverpool beat them two beat them two months ago here. Um, so yeah, I mean, what kind of some other mad games you've been to, Sam? You know, whether that's Sunderland or whether that's other games, what's some kind of other kind of ridiculous moments that you've enjoyed the most? What, what are the moments that make you love football as a fan? I think um, possibly. Two, my two favourite moments supporting Sunderland have both come against Manchester City, which is something given we never really do well against them. But I think the first one's the obvious one when we took the lead in the uh, League Cup final. Oh, you know, yeah. we thought even you know until Yaya Toure equalised that day, we were finally going to win something. First time in about fifty years it would have been, and um, well, forty at the time I think, but. Another one was when Gidong once scored that last-minute winner against uh, City on New Year's Day, I think it was. Um, you know, he went round Joe Hart and, uh, you know, it's become one of the most underappreciated Martin Tyler moments this day. But I think an interesting one, actually, I'll give a shout-out to was the football fans back in Malta. You know, the poor people were in the qualifying rounds of the Champions League. Um, and... You know, they were so passionate. They were all waving their flags and stuff. And they were obviously going to be put out. They were dreadful. You know, I think we could probably terrorise the Maltese defences in front three. But, you know, they were so passionate about such poor quality football. You know, flags, chanting, song, everything. So I'll give them a shout out tonight. Mm. What, about, what about you, Lee? What are some other kind of mad moments in football you've experienced? Um... <sighs> There were the um, in in terms of like an electric atmosphere, a, a lot of them were in that last that that season before our promotion season. The more I think about it, because that was when we'd gone from being absolute shit to playing the best football we'd seen at Ellen Road. Well, in my lifetime, you know what I mean. So um, we went one nil up against West Brom after another pretty bad run of form inside fifteen seconds at Ellen Road, and. The, the limbs lasted 90 minutes because they just the second went in, the third went in, the fourth went in, um, you know, and ev every time we seem to do this, it's also a player who's been struggling, who seems to, you know, carry the game. At that point, it was Patrick Bamford, a lot of people questioning him, and um, Tyler Roberts, who, to be honest, people are still rightly questioning his, um, his ability, but he had a blinding game. And um, it was just one of them, it knocked them, off his tail a bit, it put us a bit further in front. We didn't end up coming up that season, but that, that was one of the games where you think it's going to happen, you know, if, if we carry on playing like this. And I just think 15 seconds in, Hernandez gets it on the edge of the box and he whacks it. That, that's how we always kick off, you know. We, we kick off, it goes straight to the winger, comes back inside and we have a shot to try and get in the heads or whatever in the first few seconds. Never goes in, but that one he just stuck it straight in straight top bins. None of them went to close him down or anything, and that would that that was just ridiculous. Um, I love I love moments like that where it's just you know no one goes to close them down because you think go on then, go on then. Yeah, the, the, it's almost as if they're saying go on then, give it a go. You're gonna miss. 
the obvious one I've got for that is um, that same season as that bloody Spurs match. Um, is this going to be Vincent Company? It is going to be Vincent <laughs> versus Leicester because there was another horrific, tense atmosphere for seventy minutes, and and I mean he and I mean he said, and everyone who was interviewed after that game and post match said. Don't shoot! Don't don't shoot! Don't shoot! Just pass the ball, pass the ball in the stadium. You could hear it. You could hear everyone, as you could see, because he took that extra touch, went forward a bit further before shooting, and you could just hear everyone in the stadium groan and go, "Oh, don't shoot this, Vinny! Don't shoot this!" And then you look up, and you just see the ball flying. Harry Maguire kind of does his stupid little move out of the way, um, and then Casper Schmeichel just useless. I mean, I was at the other end of the ground, so I was watching it like head on. Um, yeah, so that was one of the most amazing moments uh, that I've ever seen at the Etihad, and that celebration was brilliant. So we'll move on from talking about um, some of our best experiences in football. And I'm sure it's a topic we'll revisit about a million times over the course of a season uh, because mo- new moments are made every match uh, to give you a little soundbite there. But we're going to move on uh, for the final part of this podcast and discuss England, uh, specifically the World Cup in 2022. Um, today, the Premier League announced it's gonna they're going to have their six-week break uh, and come right back into playing eight days after the final. Um, but we're going to discuss who we think the 11 might be uh, for England, who are going to start. This all comes from an article that The Independent did eight years ago in 2013, predicting who they think would win the World Cup for England in 2022. Uh, in a 4-4-2 shape, they picked Jack Botland in, in net, Chris Smalling at right back with Nathaniel Chalabert, Phil Jones and Luke Shaw uh, filling out the rest of the defence. Right wing, Wilfred Zaha, with centimids of Ross Barkley and Jack Wilshere. Jordan Ive at left wing, with Daniel Sturridge and Chuba Akpom up front. So I think we can safely say they got um, one right there uh, with Luke Shaw, who may be in the 2022 World Cup squad. We didn't because he's got fat again. And, <laughs> he's, be- and he's become shit again. And Ben Chilwell's going to start. Uh, right, but so, so, so Lee's, Lee's getting us right into it, but we'll do it in order, in order position. Um, keeper, I mean, we very briefly discussed this before clicking record. Um, and we're just going to do the 11, not the full 25 man squad. We all agree, Aaron Ramsdale to start, right? Yeah, Sam Aaron Ramsdale. Talk to me about Aaron Ramsdale. Well, I mean, what a you know, the growth he has undergone at Arsenal is incredible. You know, he's been probably the worst keeper in the Premier League the two seasons before. But this year, it's just gone completely the other way. You know, and I think he's all-round game has improved so much. The shot stopping's there. You know, the confidence, you know, I mean, it's a trivial example, but when, you know, he was joining in with the Leicester fans, you know, when they were mocking him, you know, this is a player who's comfortable now playing at the highest level. And I think it's as bad as it is to say to somebody from Sunderland, he's overtaken Pickford and he's got the start. Oh, surely. I mean, I, I, w- I was watching um, the other night his interview with Tubes from Soccer AM. He does his kind of golfing YouTube channel and he was out doing a round of golf with, with Aaron Ramsdale. 
and he just comes across as the nicest lad as well. Like he's just he's 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 funny. He's you know he's got confidence as most goalkeepers do. He's a bit eccentric like most goalkeepers are. Um, and I think if anyone's going to you know actually rise to the challenge of getting ahead of Jordan Pickford in the in the depth chart, it's going to be Aaron Ramsdale. I mean Pickford's face down. How many keepers, Lee? I mean, you, Pope, yeah. Johnson. I mean, he's faced down so many. He's faced down so many. I uh, think I'm, that's because of his all-round game. Like we mentioned, you know, I think Nick Pope's comfortably a better shot stopper. There's, you know, that his ability is distributing and his confidence rushing out is very, very important if you're, you know, wanting to play on the front foot. He's, you know, a defence with someone like Harry Maguire, who quite frankly can't move at anything more than snail's pace. You need a keeper who's willing to fill that bit of space if the ball gets played over the top and Pickford's a nutter, so he, he gets the nod there, doesn't he? But um, yeah, I think by this time next year, definitely Ramsdale will have overtaken Pickford in terms of how he's playing in the Premier League. But that the, the difficult thing is, he has not put a foot wrong for England. And as, lo- and as long as he's still playing well for England in the warm-up games and stuff, it's going to be very difficult for Southgate to leave out someone like Jordan Pickford. But I think maybe this might be the occasion where he looks and he thinks, I'm sorry, Jordan, but... It's time to kind of yeah, move on. Move. <laughs> yeah. Um, We'll we'll come back to right back. We'll start at left back. I mean, you talked about it there very briefly, Lee, um, about Luke Shaw's recent form not being very good, um, and he was awful in the Manchester derby as well. And he's not, and he's not. And after a fine season last season, you know, where you know he, got, he, he earned the nickname of Shaw Burso Carlos, and especially with his Euros performances, he was brilliant. But he's come back this season, and he's fallen back to the Luke Shaw of old. Sam, who would you have at left back? Um, 2022 World Cup. I mean, you've got um, a few options, but who would you pick? I think um, I'd probably stick with Shaw. I think the reason he's not playing well is simply because he needs a break. You know, it's it's the same with Maguire as well. They need a break. You know, you don't go having a great season playing well for the Euros and suddenly forgetting how to play football overnight. So I think providing he can rediscover his form between now and then, he's got the start. I mean... Lee, I think I think we're in agreement. Uh, ben Chilwell. Yeah, I mean, his form for Chelsea has been insane going forwards, and with the quality that we have in holding midfield, you know, with Declan Rice, with Calvin Phillips, we can afford to have wing backs that do that. Um, and I think is he has done his defensive work as well, but um, he, he's just he's quicker, he's fitter, um, it. And his, his all-round game's just been a bit better than Shaw's this season, whether that's a result of Shaw's team playing shit um, or whether he's one of the causes of it. You, you can't really put your finger on it with them at the minute. But um, I think if form continues, I think Chilwell has to start for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I'll, I'll just I'll just throw one name out there, uh, Tyreek Mitchell. He's kind of the third... I th- I'd say he's kind of the next in line at left-back uh, in terms of natural left-backs. Um, you know, he's having a really interesting season at Crystal Palace and has really emerged there. Um, I think he's going to be one to watch, but maybe 2022 comes a bit too soon for him. Uh, centre-backs. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's going to be John Stones. It's going to have to be John Stones and Harry Maguire, um, regardless of what we think of Maguire. And I'm sure there's 
different opinions. I mean, you said there, Sam, about how he just needs a break, really. Um, my opinion on Harry Maguire is that he is not very good. He's never really been that good. And he's in the, and he's in the side because he's got a big head. Lee, you're nodding. Um, Harry Maguire, <laughs> is he in the squad for is it, well, he's, he's yeah. started. Because I, th- I think you always need your solid out-and-out centre-back in a team. And we, the rest of us centre-backs are kind of less aggressive, more kind of, you know, solid on the ball defenders like John Stones. Like we've got, you know, Tamori, who Southgate showed promise by calling up and then went back to his old ways and forgot about him again. Um, but y- y- you need your kind of big hard centre-back and I think Harry Maguire does does kind of fit the bill there. Um, Sam, are you, are you in same same opinion there? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be Harry Maguire at left centre-back? Yeah, I think it's going to be Maguire and Stones at centre-back. Should it be? Probably not. Um, I think, you know, they're both incredible players on their day, but they're not consistent enough. And it might be a time to look at bringing someone in who can you know, might not hit the same levels as them, but it's more consistently at a good level. So maybe Tomori with stats like his would be a good shout if he keeps it up. I mean, for me, I would pick Stones and Tomori. Obviously, I'm going to say Stones. I'm a Manchester City fan. I've loved the guy ever since we bought him. Um, and I think last season he kind of proved just how brilliant he can be um, alongside Ruben Diaz. And I don't think it was all just Ruben Diaz. I think it was genuinely John Stones was world-class and was performing at a very, very high level and did in the Euros as well. You've got to remember, it was him and Tyrone Mings at the start of the Euros and they were br- and they were brilliant together. And I think it was instead of, you know, John Stones looking more towards Tyrone Mings being the traditional centre-back, John Stones stepped up and was the leader of that defence. Uh, but I can see I've lost out on votes here. So Stones and Maguire for us. Um, right back, and I've left this one because there's so much depth at right back. Um, and I think there's going to be three different opinions here. Um, Lee, we'll start with you. Right, who's your right back for 2022? Reese James. Uh, Sam, before you start, Lee, Sam, who's your right back for 2022? Kieran Trippier. <laughs> Don't no, don't don't laugh. That's as serious a pick as if you were to say Trent. That's not that's not a laugh about Kieran Trippier. That's a laugh about who I'm going to say, and that's Kyle Walker. Um, and then none of us have said Trent Alexander Arnold. None of us have said Trent Alexander Arnold. Um, I mean, for, really, you could pick any of the three we've mentioned. I think three. I think all three of them are quite similar players. They're all kind of big, strong, actual, proper, good defenders. Trent isn't. That's why he's not played much. Um, so, is it a question of? Why, why, why are we not saying Trent, or is it why are we saying Walker or Trippier or James? What do we think? Uh, well, I think player in here. Yeah, just so we don't get cancelled on mercy side, I think we have to go for why we're picking our options. No, we we have to say why we've not picked Trent. No, come on, because that's one thing we all agree on. Well, principally, it's because defenders have to defend. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that's all I were going to say. That's. It. I li- everyone, everyone likes Trent Alexander-Arnold's attacking output. He is a brilliant attacker. The way he races forward, and you can see the fact that he started as a right winger. You can see, you can see that in his game, and he's incredibly slender. But he's not a very good defender. He's just simply not a good enough defender to to be on the international stage for in a country that actually wants to win the World Cup, to win the Euros. Um, and that's me cancelled on Merseyside, but it won't be the first time. Um, I'm going to say that you're used to that at this point, aren't you? <laughs> 
I mean, uh, J- James Walker or Trippier, if it was one of them three, I wouldn't mind eat. But if it was Trent, I'd be like, mm, they're going to target that. They're going to target him. Whoever, if it was France, if it was Italy, if it was Germany, whoever, they're going to ta- they would target Trent. Um, we'll do it in a four-two-three-one shape because that's what England mostly play at the moment, anyway. Um, I mean, the pivot, Lee. Your, I think you hinted at it earlier, Rice and Phillips. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you think we'll stick with that? Do you think I think we'll... I think Southgate should is fairly committed to that when he can, especially against the kind of bigger teams and in bigger games. Um, I think they work very well together because I think Rice being so straightforward in how he plays allows Phillips to move a bit further up and do his thing a bit more. Um, but I think there's a there's a lot of centre mids coming through. Bellingham's being absolutely brilliant for Dortmund. I don't see him as a number 10 either, Bellingham. I could see him more in that midfield pivot. And over the last year, he has decided he does like to tackle while he's been there. I don't know how he, they've taught him to press, but he does it so well. And I think um, if if one of these centre mids does come through like Bellingham and does really well, I, w- I would think it would be Calvin Phillips who'd make way over Declan Rice. Um, that's probably from a selfish, please don't injure yourself point of view as well. <laughs> but um, I think, um, no, I, th- I think that's fairly certain. Um, and I think that's fairly set in stone because even though Phillips hasn't been in the best form and he's had injuries, he was left out of the last camp because of his injury. Southgate's called him up at the first opportunity and I don't think he's been brilliant for the last few games either. He's, he's called him up because he's an England regular now. Yeah. I mean, for me, it would be Rice and Phillips as well. I think they, you know, Southgate kind of proved that at the Euros, that's his, that's his choice. That's who he wants, whether it's a five at the back, whether it's a four at the back, that's his pivot. And other players like a Jude Bellingham or a James Ward-Prowse or even putting Phil Foden there or any of or Mason Mount or whoever else, you know, their experiments for him at the moment. For him, he's he's starting, he's racing Phillips. Sam, I can see you smirking a bit there. Uh I, th- yeah. I think one different. Yeah, well I think the shoehorning in of Foden really is quite interesting, but I think this is North Foden yeah. him in a bit. So it's, I think this is a situation between what he'll do and what I would do. I think, you know, Phillips and Rice is set in stone and, you know, almost justifiably given how well they did together at the Euros. But I don't think Phillips is playing well enough to justify being an England starter. And I think it is time to give Ward Prowse a proper chance to make the shirt his own. Yeah. Do I have to quote you saying that you don't know what everyone sees in Ward Prowse and all he does is a Gerard pass every now and again? That was a comment I made by John Joe Shelby, not James Ward-Prowse. I believe it was also a comment you've made about James Ward-Prowse. I'll have to dig, but I'm 100% certain you've said that. I have been his leading cheerleader for years. <laughs> I mean, I like James Ward-Prowse. I think, I think he's a fine kind of backup addition. I think he should be the choice over Jordan Henderson, because I think Jordan Henderson does nothing for England. Chris uh, except... set pieces as well. Yeah, oh God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that puts him automatically in any tournament squad for me because he's just so good at them. Um, but yeah, um, we, me and Sam hinted there at um, a little disagreement over, you know, who I think is England's best player, Phil Foden. Um, but I'm not going to come to Sam just yet. Uh, att- Centre centre attacking midfield. Um, who are you putting there, Lee? 
this is the most contentious spot. I think that's the one thing that everyone has to agree on is that in terms of options England have, we're absolutely spoiled for choice at attacking mid. <clears throat> you know, you've got if if you're wanting to include, you know, include people who can play there, you've got Foden, you've got Grealish, you've got Mount Madison, Lingard, um, we, you know, I'm just throwing about Emil Smith Rowe. Um, Joe Willock, if he keeps up the form he had at the end of last season for Newcastle, we've got we've got so much talent for that one position. But in terms of who I would play at central attacking midfield, I'm going to be shot down extremely hard here by both of you and say Mason Mount. Fuck off. Foden's Just... in my squad. Leave me alone. It would be, but you... oh, don't get people who don't put him at centre attacking mid. Because he can also play as a centre mid if you want a change of system. He can play out wide if he has to, and he always puts a shift in, which is something a few players in that. I think it's quite symptomatic of being a number 10 that a lot of players do forget how to run and work for the team. And you can't say that Mount doesn't. And he's, <laughs> he's quite good in here, let's be honest. Mason Mount is a very good player. I just don't... We've we seen him in the 10-roll at the Euros and he was crap there. He was crap there. It, it, it was that simple for me. I don't think he was very good there and he was carried by Bryson Phillips for me. Uh, Sam, centre-attacking midfield. Oh, I'm going to go for the left-field pick and say it should be James Madison. There's just something about him, the way he plays, that's just such a joy to watch. And I think he could do something brilliant, you know, when he has top, top players around him. Yeah, I mean, he's someone who I think I think he I think he was given a cap, um, or he was he was given a call up, and then uh, he hasn't been seen since. I think that was twenty eighteen. So he's obviously not in Southgate's plans. Uh, but I agree. I think I think James Madison is a brilliant player. I mean, he's someone who hasn't delivered on his potential for a, properly for a while uh, since that eighteen nineteen season where he created something like a hundred chances or in the Premier League that year, which is astounding for you know where Leicester were that season. Um, but obviously, I'm picking Phil Foden. I think that's his best position um, in this England setup. I think he is by far and away England's best player. I think he's going to be England's most important player for the next 10 years. I think he's probably going to finish his career as England's greatest ever product. Um, we've, I've talked about Foden many a time on here. Um, Lee, you mentioned he's in your squad. Uh, what side of the defense, of the attack is he on then? The problem is I'm not. I could have him on either, and it's more based on who I want in the other position. <laughs> but I think hey, um, who are your I think two I'm going to place him on the left. He like good. he likes that half space, doesn't he? He likes that side of the pitch. He's played the brilliantly there. Um, so who who's on the right for you then? Um, oh, do I have to say it? Um, yeah, I literally have a list in front of me who play um, of players who I, I can't decide if, if they're in the team or not. But right, I, do you know what Raheem Sterling? I've done it. Yeah, never disappoints for England, and you need someone in the team who's going to run and do the dirty work, the off the ball work that always goes underappreciated with him. You need mm-hmm. someone who's going to do that, and I think if you have too many creators in the team, you're going to lose that kind of. That, that man there. Yeah, I mean, work rate. work rate is just unbelievable. Um, I think, you know, I, 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 I've been very harsh on him, you know, the last kind of year or so when he has just hasn't been performing for City, but he rocks put the Euros, puts in 
an incredible performance all campaign. You know, he, he was he was the reason he got up the group. Uh, I mean, he scored both goals in the group stage. Um, performance of his life against Denmark. That's such a grim line, isn't it? He scored both of England's goal in the three matches in the group stage. <laughs> but I mean, he's just utter, he's just an utterly brilliant player for England. Um, and I think him on that right wing is just something special because he can just run at people and he will get past them and he will cre- and he will create he's creative he's an he's an attacker he can score goals um sam who are your two wingers so i think on the left i'll have to probably go for jack Grealish, you know cutting inside causing havoc and i think the right wing is such a hard one to really figure out because there's so many people who could play there i think you know it depends what you want to do if you want somebody to run wide you could go for someone like harvey barnes if you wanted somebody to cut in, you know, you've got so many options. But I think I think on form at the minute, I'm probably have to go have to go for Jared Bowen. Um just have people cutting in from both sides. You know, I mean I, I know this England team I'm picking is becoming quite a strange one as, as it goes on, but it is designed to do a very certain thing. And um I think Bowen, you know, he's a key part of this West Ham team that's doing so well. I think it's Time to stick him in when there's no obvious right winger. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, there was talk this month about him getting called up uh, for the November camp, and uh, it hasn't happened, uh, regrettably for him. Uh, but he's someone who's kind of he's getting to that point where he deserves a call now, deserves to be involved and see what he's about. Uh, for me, my other winger um, was Jack Grealish as well. Uh, I think Jack Grealish is one of England's premier players. Um, he's majestic on the ball um you know the way he just drives past people the way he keeps the ball when he's doing it and you know we can't look past it he's he's fucking brilliant at drawing fouls off people uh which is a special skill that not too many people in the england setup really have i think it's only really him and foden who were that good at it um but we'll move on to striker now we know who southgate is going to pick um if he's fit Harry Kane is going to play. For me, though, and this is obviously based on his current form and, you know, what kind of what kind of player he's going to become over the next couple of years. Um, I'm not going to say Harry Kane. And Lee's just hinted there at a name, and I completely agree. It's Tammy Abraham for me. <laughs> I think Tammy Abraham, you know, out of all the people sat behind Kane, it's him and Calvert-Lewin who are, like, the two closest, in my opinion. Um what, what do you two think, Lee? Are you, are you saying Harry Kane or are, you, or are you saying someone else? I am not saying Harry Kane because I despise him. So, um, Tammy Abraham. <laughs> I, it's between Tammy Abraham and Calvert-Lewin, like you say, but I think Tammy Abraham's just... He's more all-rounded. Yeah, that, that's it. I think Calvert-Lewin's very good, works hard and shoots, but he's quite yeah. one-dimensional in that, isn't he? He's sticking um, in the in the crosses which is perfect for the last 10-15 minutes of a game where you're chasing a game and need a goal yeah uh, I think been... um, honourable mentions that probably won't actually um, get mentioned Ivan Tony's in with a shout of the squad at least but yeah. he, he just needs to start doing things now you know he's, he's, he's had a pretty shit run <laughs> as of Brentford in the past few games um Ollie Watkins would be in with a shout if they managed to starve, you know, keep off relegation. Um, Danny Ings is only 28. So if yeah. he manages to stay fit, you know. It's kind of 
for one of the Villa strikers kind of gets going, really, isn't it? They're going to be within a sh- within a shout of it. Or um, if he manages to get into any kind of form, and if Man United do play this kind of two up top that they've been doing, R- Rashford alongside another striker could work. But I think Mason Green would have been with a shout as well. Don't tell you knows. Oh, you you're doing that at Rashford. That's fine. But um, yeah, Mason Greenwood, he's kind of the natural heir to. Harry Kane in a way. He's yeah. he's that throughout uh, England's youth academy. Well, not academy, but you know the youth teams. Um, and you know he's and he's one of the younger ones, so I think he's probably going to be within within that shout. But I mean, he's been on this kind of long-standing break now from England for a while, and it seems to be something agreed between him, his family, and England and his club. Uh, so I don't know really. We don't really know what the situation is there, but um, yeah, Mason Greenwood's going to be one of those places, kind of always within a shout of it. Um, but I think what we can learn from this is England just have such great depth, really. England have fantastic depth. You know, there's agreement here on certain positions, you know, centre-back, full-backs, the midfield pivot, but in attack especially, there was just so much depth there and so many brilliant technical players, many that we haven't even mentioned, you know, Bukayo Saka, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe deserves probably a bigger shout-out than he's had. Um and so many more coming through, even in even in defensive positions. You know, um, Connor Gallagher at Crystal Palace is having a fantastic season. Tino Livramento at Southampton, another right, another right back. We don't need one, but I mean, he's a brilliant talent. Um, but I think the one kind of big question remains is Lee. Do you think your squad would win the World Cup in twenty twenty two? No, because England are never going to win anything in our lifetimes because we're shit and we bottle everything in big games. <laughs> Sam. Do you think your squad would win the World Cup in 2022? No, but it wouldn't be meant to. I think this World Cup would be too early for the team I've picked and we'd need two more years to really be the serious tournament contender. See, I think my team would. Um, I think my team would win the World Cup uh, because it's what England's been working towards. The FA said, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, the plan was reach the semi-finals of the Euros in 2020. They did that. Uh, in 2021 um, and win the World Cup in 2022. Um, everything has been angled towards this, you know, the the recreation, the under-23s league uh, development, the pathways from the youth teams right through, everything's been focused on winning in 2022. Um, and if England don't win the World Cup next year in Qatar, um, there's going to be some serious, serious long faces and a lot of upheaval at the FA, I think. Uh, but not to end on a sour note, I think we'll win the World Cup in 2022, regardless of who we pick. It's England, it's coming home next year. Um, Deluded football hooligan. But you'll be saying it, you'll be saying it come November next year, just like we were in the summer. No, because I've learned my lesson this time. It's taken three tournaments of me thinking it's... Well, two tournaments of me thinking it's going to. I won't be caught out a third time. Ah, we all will. We all will. Um, but we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, Sam, thank you for coming on again. It's been fantastic to have you on. And just to especially to discuss seats being set on fire in Poland, in stadiums. Uh, fantastic. Um, Lee, thank you for, uh, for your Frank Lampard opinion. That's what was there, that was my entire contribution. Full <laughs> contribution to this episode, and thank, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is the Dogger UK Football Podcast, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>